Good morning to all of you. Trust um, you've been blessed already. And um, this morning I'm going to be um, sharing on the subject of new birth or born again. So if you want to turn to John chapter 3, that's going to be where we um, jump off and go from there. So, birth is something that our congregation has been dealing with a lot lately, and it's not just our congregation. Um, um, in our family, we had a baby born about five weeks ago, and um, that week, there were 76 deliveries at Baptist Hospital Lynchburg. <clears throat> and um, for those of you who can't do higher math in your head, that's an average of 10.857 babies a day, um, although they only deliver whole babies at Baptist um, so, um, it's close enough to 11 that probably uh, you can round up. Uh, and it's a pleasant thing to be dealing with, um, new life. Um, and so, you all probably figured out by now that when I share, I often share about things that I've been dealing with. And so, um, when we were at the hospital, that just kept coming to my mind. Um, and so... Another thing that I can guarantee is that every single one of you here this morning has been born. Um, I know that. Um, I also am pretty sure that none of you remember being born. Um, maybe Autumn uh, is not here this morning, and Patrick and Elise could remember, but they don't have the words to share with us about the experience. Um, and so many of us um, refer, though, to the um, the process of salvation as being born again or having a new birth. And I think that while we use this, um, this terminology, we don't always think we know what we're talking about. And so that's what I want to explore this morning. And I'm not going to be um, delving into deep theological things. I'm not. Um, there's, a, there's something called soteriology, which talks about um, salvation, and there's very smart people who have studied exactly what happens when you're saved and stuff like that, but I'm not really, I'm not deep enough to go there, but um, but I still think it's important for us to think about what happens when we're born again, and if you're not born again, to think about how you can be born again. So let's begin here in John chapter 3, and we're going to um, read the first 17 verses. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind blows, blows where it listeth, and it Thou hearest the sound thereof, but thou but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is a story about a man named Nicodemus who met Jesus. And this morning we heard about how Jesus really went off on the Pharisees and told them um, how terrible they were. But clearly not all of the Pharisees were terrible. We don't know much about Nicodemus. It says he was a ruler of the Jews. And um, for those of you who know, the Jews weren't ruled by Jews. They were ruled by a Roman procurator who was under Caesar. Um, and then there were vassal kings, the Herods, who ruled in, in Israel. But they did have a council called the Sanhedrin. And wealthy um, um, Pharisees and different Jewish people could sit on that. And for all the little tiny details of, of Jewish life, they could make decisions about that. So, uh, But um, anything major had to come from Rome and had to be... Um, um, okay with the emperor. So, but he was, he was probably pretty wealthy. He certainly was a Pharisee. He was somebody um, who, um, who came to Jesus questioning him, um, but doing so honestly. So we know that later on there were Jewish people who came to Jesus with, with hard questions trying to trap him up, you know. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Should we, you know, if there's a man who... Um, who dies and his wife marries six of his brothers, who's she going to marry whenever we're all resurrected? And all sorts of like, kind of interesting questions, maybe. But this is not what, where Nicodemus is at. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and, um, and has honest questions for him. And Nicodemus came by night. And this is important. Not, not necessarily, because I mean, sometimes people have this impression Nicodemus is trying to be secretive. He's trying to heard around the people who don't like Jesus, but I don't think that's really what this is saying. Um, this is Nicodemus, a man who is in darkness seeking the light. And that's the theme in the, the Gospel of John. Um, and so, you know, it's entirely possible Nicodemus just was coming to Jesus at night because he wanted to have some questions answered, and he knew there would be fewer people around that. And so Nicodemus shares this starting place. He believes that Jesus has come from God. No one can do miracles like Jesus did except if he comes from God. Um, and this doesn't really seem like a stretch to us this morning. We all believe that Jesus came from God. But many of the Pharisees have come to the opposite conclusion, haven't they? So they said, well... We believe that Jesus is saying blasphemous statements. He's saying things that are against the law and against the prophets. And so whatever he's doing has to come from the other place. 
he is doing it with Satan's power. We can imagine someone came in this morning and said that, um, did some amazing healing this morning and then said that Jesus was not Jesus and he was not the Son of God. We'd say, well, we don't know anything else about him, but he's not from God. Um, the Bible's clear about that, right? And so the, the Pharisees had read the Old Testament. They knew it pretty well. And they had come to the conclusion that Jesus was not, he, he just wasn't a prophet or anything like a prophet because he was attacking everything. And yet there were some of the Pharisees that said, you know, this sort of, this sort of miracle um, has to come from someone who comes from God. And once again, this is a good place to start. It's, it's a good thing to believe that Jesus is good. Um, and that he's not trying to lead the people astray. Um, but it's not enough. And so, and so then, you know, Nicodemus has said his statement. He says, you know, about uh, what they think about Jesus. And now Jesus jumps in and says, Except a man be born again cannot see the kingdom of God. And this isn't really an answer to anything Nicodemus was asking. Um, and so, you know, you can imagine if you walked up to somebody and started talking to them about their job or whatever, and then they just sort of launched into this, this statement. And you would say, well, that's interesting, but I don't know where that really came from. Um, and Nicodemus didn't understand, did he? Um, and I, when I was a boy, I used to think, well, you know, Nicodemus is just kind of dumb. You know, yes, he's, he's wealthy, but he's not very smart. Because I know what it means to be born again, and Nicodemus doesn't. He starts talking about getting back inside your mom and, and just weird stuff. Um, and Nicodemus wasn't dumb. He, he was probably pretty smart. Um, and so he's, he's saying, though, maybe one of two things. He's maybe asking the question, does salvation... Seeing the kingdom of God not come from being Jewish. So, this is a big deal, isn't it? Um, up until this point, people who became, um, we're going to say saved, people, people who experienced salvation did so by being Jewish, or by connecting themselves with the, um, with the Jewish people. The second thing that he might be saying is asking the question if Jesus was saying that salvation doesn't come from cleaning up the outside, or reformation, um, that it actually comes from regeneration, um, which are words that sound the same but are very different. Um, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. This is the next thing that Jesus says. And what is he saying there? Um, well, he's saying the same thing that Paul talked about in the book of Romans. We are Adam's children. Um, do you look like Adam, uh, men here, or do you look like Eve, ladies? Well, we don't really know, right? I mean, we have very few photographs from the Garden of Eden. And, um, and the ones we have are very blurry. Uh, in fact, people are the iPhone 11 or whatever they're on now. Uh, we don't know what they look like, and it doesn't really matter. Um, people are always trying to look at um, look at children and say, well, you know, you look like your dad and you look like your mom, and I don't always see that. Um, you know, they just look like people 
little people, uh, but uh, and sometimes bigger people. I mean, sometimes you look exactly like your dad, and that's okay, um, or your mom. But what we know is that inside we look the same as Adam and Eve. And I don't mean necessarily like our intestines um, or heart or something like that. I'm saying that our sin nature looks exactly like our parents, 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 all the way back. Um, and unfortunately, that's something that each one of us is born with, from the, the youngest one of us to the oldest. Um, my grandfather delivered babies, and in one case, after a really hard labor on he came. Um, the father came into the room. So this was before the time when, when dads could be in the delivery room. They came in after the fact. And, and um, I guess the sympathetic men. Um, and the father looked at his baby and, and he said, um, Doctor, what happened to his chin? The baby didn't have much of a chin, apparently. And uh, my grandfather said, Well, have you ever looked in the mirror? Um, because the man didn't have much of a chin either. Um, Probably not a nice thing to say either way, but uh, I guess apples don't fall far from the tree, do they? We look like our parents, at least to a certain extent. Um, and um, and it's not surprising. We we would think it's really strange if um, you know if I looked more like Abraham Lincoln than my dad. Um, and yet it also speaks to the fact that we cannot distance ourselves more than a certain amount from that. And yet Jesus is saying, you need to. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Um, and so, and then he talks about the wind. The, the same word um, in Greek um, is used for both wind and spirit. It's the Greek pneuma. Now, I'm not going to turn there this morning. But in Ezekiel 37, 1-14, it talks about a valley of dry bones. You all have heard this um, this is the story about the foot bone connecting to the leg bone and the leg bone connecting to the backbone, or however it went, I don't know. I took anatomy, but it didn't really connect with me. Um, the song didn't, because um, it doesn't really actually feel like those bones all connect the way the song is supposed to be. Um, but regardless, the whole point of the song, um, I think, um, certainly the whole point of the passage in Ezekiel is that Everything can come together, but without the Spirit, without the breath inside it, it is useless. And it is only when the breath of God comes into people that they can be something more than just um, corpses. Uh, and it's the animating power of the Spirit that gives life. And so maybe Jesus is referring back to that a little bit. Um, the idea being that life, both spiritual and physical, only comes from the Spirit's moving. And I think the key to this whole idea is that this is something new. It's not enough to fix up the outside, but we're talking about reformation or to follow the law a little better. It's about beginning again. Um, and it doesn't depend on location. So citizenship depends on who your parents are or where you're born. Um, and Elliot, um, when Elena was still expecting at least, um, came to us one day and he, he said, Mom, do you know how you can have your baby on two continents? This is a really tough question. Um, and um, anyway, he said, well, you just have to go to, to the border between Europe and Asia and find a, a house or a hospital there and have your baby right there on the border. And then 
then your baby would be born both in Asia and in, uh, and in Europe. And then it's quick, quick to point out that, uh, that you would have to travel to the Ural Mountains uh, and have your baby somewhere in Russia or Kazakhstan. And fortunately, Elaine declined to do that. So our, our baby was born in Lynchburg. But, but I mean, it, it does speak to the fact, you know, if, you're, you, know, if you wanted to have um, your citizenship in a lot of different places, you know, your location where you're at makes a difference. And even in Jesus' day, this is true. Um, citizenship was linked to parents and the birthplace. So to be a Roman citizen, you had to be born in Italy, or there were certain um, places elsewhere in the, um, in the Roman Empire where um, people could become Roman citizens based on their birth. But most places, you were just, you, you might be free, but you were not a citizen of Rome. And so the goal here is to become citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And this requires something more, some sort of divine power, a new birth. And so I'd like to move from kind of a big summation that Jesus gives here into some comparison points. Things that are similar between us before we're born um, and the birth process and the new birth process. The first thing is that it begins in darkness. There's always darkness before there is light. In Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And in this picture, we see the earth being without form. And there's darkness. And I think that this is definitely a picture of what our lives are like before Jesus steps into them. And we know that babies before they're born have eyes, but they don't see light. And after they're born, they're transfixed by light. Um, lights and ceiling fans. I'm not sure what it is about both of those things, but, but they're very impressive to babies, uh, more so than uh, even people's faces sometimes. And in the beginning, Elise would often look not at people's faces, but at the light behind them. She had never seen the light before, and to her it was something beautiful, something amazing, something she couldn't understand. And I think that's a, a picture of what it is like. Um, you all have probably heard different stories about people trapped in darkness. I thought about um, the Chilean miners who were trapped beneath the surface for for over a month, I believe, uh, before they were brought to the surface. But more recently, there was a, a Thai soccer team um, that um, went deep into a cave called the Sam Luang Cave. And um, while they were in there, there was a huge um, monsoon began, and um, torrential rains came down, and they were trapped 2.5 miles deep in the cave without help and without hope. And they had some lights when they started, but those lights went out. It was June 23rd that they started off, and it was July 2nd before they had contact again 
for the outside world. There were divers that were going through the caves, that were traveling through dark, muddy tunnels trying to reach them. Uh, one diver actually died in the process. And they finally found them on a muddy ledge in the darkness, all alone. And I think that this is a picture of us before we see the light. We feel helpless, we feel hopeless, and we are in the dark. And into that darkness, God steps and says, let there be light. And John 1 explores this contrast. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And yet I believe that many tolerate the darkness because no one has ever showed them the light. And that's on us. Jesus is the true light that comes into the world. John 1 9. So it begins in darkness, and hopefully it moves from there into light. The second thing is that it comes as a result of someone else's suffering. Romans 8 19 23 says, For the creation waits with either eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. The long set of verses, and I think it explains that Jesus' life is something that the whole universe is waiting for. Certainly all of humanity was waiting on this. And Paul uses the same metaphor that Jesus did, the idea of a coming birth. Jesus suffered and died so that we could have new life. And, and I guess as we were up at the Baptist, we went in at, what, three in the afternoon, two in the afternoon, and all through that long night afterwards, watching my wife deal with labor and not seeming to get any closer to the end that we were waiting for, and all through the next day until um, close to five in the evening, I thought about suffering. And many times I have told moms in labor, this is the hardest thing you will ever do. And at the same time, it's not something that we can do for ourselves. We don't have any choice whether we put pain on our mothers. The song says that none of the ransoms ever knew how deep was the water crossed or how dark was the night that the Lord passed through where he found the sheep that was lost. Out in the desert he heard its cry. Sick and helpless and waited to die. And that was Jesus. All night, from the time that he spent in the garden, all the way to the beginning of his ghost on the cross, he was doing it for us. There was no easier way to bring us life and life and healing. If there was, he would have taken it. Of course he would have.
the story came to my mind of Rachel and Benjamin. Genesis 35, 16 through 18, it says, Then they journeyed from Bethel, when they were still some distance from Ephraim, which was Bethlehem. Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And what does Benoni mean? It means son of my suffering. And Jacob changed his name, named him ben, Benjamin or Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. His better name. Um, Joseph Paul, Bishop of Exeter, said, Death borders on our birth, but our cradle stands in the grave. And throughout history, there have been an awful lot of women who died in childbirth. It was a hard thing to go through, not only knowing what you would go through before epidurals and things like that, but also knowing that you could be giving your life for your child. And how would it be to grow up knowing that your mother died at your birth, giving up her life for yours? It's a blessing that we don't need to experience that much anymore. But I would like to move on to the, the third thing, which is that that suffering is willingly given. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And suffering isn't something that I take on myself willingly. I... I don't like suffering, and if I can see a way around it, um, I'm going to go around it. Um, but Jesus did exactly that, not because he had to, but because he loved God. It's the same reason why mothers are willing to, to suffer through labor, is because they love their children. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What drove him to come to earth for us and suffer for us? Well, you know, I mean, sometimes we think, well, maybe there were some people out there that were just amazingly talented or beautiful or impressed him, and he looked at them, and he's like, wow, you know, that person would go to hell if I didn't come to earth, and so I'll, I'll come to earth for, you know, um, Albert Einstein, or, you know, whoever else. Uh, but it wasn't. He, he looked down, and he saw humans. And the best of us have been that great. But he loved us. In the same way that a mother looks at her child, after it's been born. And even though, you know, other people will say, well, that's a cute baby. She sees something more. Something worthwhile. Potential. And she loves that child and she will do anything for that child. So, just to review, birth is only a beginning. I'm sorry, I'm going back forward rather than backwards. It's the problem with paper. Um, 
So birth begins in darkness. Birth requires suffering. Um, that suffering is willingly given. And birth means a complete change. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Second Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. And in a sense, you know, when babies are born, they, they actually look really similar after birth to what they looked before they were born. So, I mean, if you've ever seen a 3D ultrasound, you, uh, and you have to imagine a little bit when you look at a 3D ultrasound. It doesn't really look like a person uh, or a baby, but it, it looks more like a baby than it looks like a chipmunk. But, um, and so it's not like, you know, babies inside, you know, I... I hate the book Stuart Little um, because it begins with this really weird kind of scenario where these parents go to the hospital and suddenly they're like, the mom is delivered of a mouse. Like, you know, I mean, that would be an easy labor, but just the whole scenario is just crazy. Uh, I mean, you do the ultrasound, you're like, wow, that's a mouse in there. Um, but you don't. You look at the, the ultrasound and you say, that's a baby. And if it doesn't look like a baby, then. You know, then there's something wrong. Um, and so babies don't really change that much. But it's more like a caterpillar changing into butterflies. So um, the Greek term for this is metamorphosis. So you can't imagine a caterpillar that goes into a chrysalis um, and then comes out looking the same. Um, so just FYI. Caterpillars, um, butterflies don't come from cocoons; they come from chrysalis. So, y'all have learned something this morning. Um, so, this is not a trip to the body shop for a new coat of paint. And we were talking a little bit earlier about reformation versus regeneration. Um, and in fact, the external body, after you've been saved, after you've accepted Jesus, looks the same, but the heart is different. If we look different after our conversion, it is because our heart is different. And sometimes that's going to happen. Sometimes our heart is changed such that our outside has to change too. Um, I was talking to Mendes last week, and he shared with me that he just got out of prison um, after being 35 years there. And as we were talking, he told me that he was changed during that time. And he was not changed because he was older or because he spent 35 years behind bars, but because he met Jesus, and Jesus had changed his heart. And that was a blessing. Because we are good at fixing up the outside, and Jesus is good at changing the inside. As we said before, the key here is the new aspect. We cannot go through new birth and be the same. And if we are, we have to ask, was it really the real deal? Birth is only the beginning. So we know this intrinsically. Sometimes mothers will say that they wish they keep, could keep their children at a particular age. You know, oh, I wish I could keep her six months old forever. And I don't think they really mean that, but um, uh, it would be, be strange. Um, so 
but people say all sorts of strange things to babies. It's like the people who show up and tell babies that they wish they could eat them. It's a really strange thing to say to a baby. Point is, maybe in other places where cannibalism is okay, it might be fine, but not here. Um, but life is about growth, maturity, and accumulation of knowledge. Um, so I made a little list of things that Elise could, had done at one week of age. So she was able to sleep um, three and a half hours without e- eating. Um, she had smiled a couple of times. Uh, she had lots of hair. This seemed to impress a lot of people. Um, she had pretty good head control. Um, and that was about it. Um, the rest of it was just normal, like sleeping and eating and such. Um, so those were all great things for one week of age. We were pretty pretty glad for those things. Um, but, you know, we wanted to see development. Um, and, um, you know, I, I thought about it, and I smile socially, and I still have hair, and I have pretty good head control. But nobody seems impressed by any of those things anymore uh, because I'm a little older than my one-week-old daughter, or now five-week-old daughter. But... Um, and so, um, doctors give their, um, they give babies something, well, they give the parents, I guess, actually, Denver screens that ask where the children are at and try to see if they're lagging developmentally and if there's something that needs to be, um, worked on. Um, Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And we know that the same is true in the Christian life. We do not understand everything when we're first born again. And even after years and years, we still don't understand everything. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2 says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Um, and so Paul here was reprimanding the Corinthians, saying um, that... He did not think they had developed as much after their conversion as what he thought they should have. And that's, a, that's sort of a, um, something he was discouraged with. And so, you know, we're glad that some children move past the stage of baby food and eventually can eat table food and do different things um, than they could in their infancy. And so... Paul is saying, in a sense, you know, you are still in kindergarten figuring out shapes when I had hoped you would be at least in third grade math working on uh, multiplication. I'm guessing that you do a little bit of multiplying in third grade, but if you don't, uh, it's been a while since I was in third grade. So, birth is only a beginning, which means that we should grow from there. Uh, and finally, with with New birth comes rejoicing. John 16, 21 and 22 says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has has been born into the world. And I asked someone the other day, um, which they thought hurt worse, a kidney stone or having a baby. Um, and, um, and they didn't have an answer for me. I, I didn't have an answer either. I've not had a kidney stone and I've not had a baby. So 
you know, I'm speculating here, but what I know is there is a lot less rejoicing after a kidney stone is passed than after a mother has a baby. Um, and the joy comes not because the suffering is over, but because the child has arrived. Matthew 18, 12 through 14 says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that any one of these little ones should perish. Now let's turn to Luke 15, 11 through 32. Um, and this is the story of the prodigal son. Um, so Luke 15. And it's a story about salvation. It's about a story about a man who hits rock bottom and he realizes where he can find love. And so let's start in verse 11. <clears throat> and he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of food that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the field to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks, but the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And so we, we see somebody just goes down, down, down. He thinks he's in control, and he loses everything. And at the end, he's feeding pigs, which is, of course, like the worst thing you could do as a Jewish person. And no one cares about him. No one is giving anything to him. And he's just so far down. And when he came to himself, so, and so up until this point, he's not himself, right? Okay, so when he says, divide your, your um, goods and, and give me the things that I, I, you know, that I have coming to me. Um, he's not himself. All the way through this story, he's not himself. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father said, bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring him to the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost in his found. And they began to be married. Now his eldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, 
He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, My brother has come, and thy father has killed the fatty calf because he has received him safe and sound. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast filled for him the fattest calf. And he said unto him, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, but this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and was found. This is a wonderful story, isn't it? It's a, hor- it's a horrible story in a way, but it, it ends with redemption. It ends with someone who didn't deserve healing and life and light, receiving all those things. And there's a lot of different things we could touch on. Um, but clearly, this is a story of new birth. And I think the two things that just really stood out to me this time as I read it were the love of the Father for both of his sons and the rejoicing of the Father contrasted with his, with his brother. And of course, you know, the, the older brother is a pet. Um, and I'm I don't always know why that, why he felt that way, um, but you know, it's um, he calls he calls um, his brother um, his father's son, which you know, it's, I guess uh, you know how like how parents sometimes will say when their children are acting, well, your child you know did this or that you know, to their their husband or wife. Um, but Jesus here is saying a couple of things. He's saying the father always forgives, and it is. Something worthy of rejoicing every time a sinner repents. In fact, this is the thing that deserves more rejoicing than anything else. Okay? More than, you know, if you get a new car or, you know, whatever else wonderful thing you can have, uh, this is worth more than that. It doesn't matter how hard the labor is. The mother rejoices because she has her baby in her, baby in her arms. And so I'd like to finish up by going back to John 3. We didn't touch on verse 16. It's the, the most famous verse in that, in that chapter. <clears throat> but this is the conclusion of the section on your birth. <clears throat> For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is opening up the new birth to everyone. Um, And probably to Nicodemus, he didn't really understand that. He probably still saw it as something that was for the Jewish people. Jesus was coming for a specific group of people. But the point of this verse is that the new birth began with God's love, and it is for everyone. Song says, Whosoever meaneth me. This verse is packed with so much. 
more than anything else, it speaks to the love that the Father and Jesus has for us, along with the breadth of the gift that has been offered. And the answer for us is not cleaning things up. It is seeing our suffering Savior lifted up and through our tears accepting His sacrifice and calling Him Lord and following Him as a shepherd. Um, and the song really came to my mind. I read one stanza from it earlier. Um, but it's a song in 1909. There were 1909 that safely lay in a shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills of Lake, far off from the gates of gold, away on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou art here, the 1909. Are they not enough to do? But the shepherd made answer, this of mine has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through, that he found his sheep that was lost. Out of the desert he heard his cry, sick and helpless and ready to die. For it went so those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain's track. They were said for one who had gone astray, as a shepherd to bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn that are pierced tonight by many a thorn? And all through the mountains, thunder riven, and up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry to the gate of heaven, Rejoice, I found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne, Rejoice, the Lord brings back its own. There can be no Christian experience who walk without a new birth in Christ. Jesus came and willingly suffered. He's given all for us. It's only left for us to let him work the changes that are necessary in our lives. And this morning, just as I think about it, looking back, the new birth is a beginning. I trust that each one of us has experienced it. And if you haven't, it's something that you should experience. And if you have, it's a beginning, a place to grow from.